he's got the giggles. And he's in a read time. This is a promising start to the episode. I like it. Get back. We don't have any cigarettes. <laughs> Just do a whole episode. An episode with another man. Of course, from episode with another The whole episode. Where I come from, no woman is complete without a man. <laughs> Hello, welcome to episode 192 of NCP. My name is David, and we're the NCP crew. Richard. And easy to read type, with no big words. Luke. All our Van Goghs must go. And Krista. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, despite what you just heard in the intro, uh, we, this episode is not about Amazon Women on the Moon. But however, if you want, all that shows up in one of your sci-fi things, that might be pretty cool. No, 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 no unfortunately not. <laughs> however, uh, if you did recognise that as a quartz from Amazon Women on the Moon, then good for you. <laughs> <laughs> and if you didn't, then did you just take this job to make it quick? But <laughs> uh, back in episode 188, we discussed our top five directors, and one of them was Ridley Scott. Uh, he appeared on a couple of people's lists, so I thought it'd be a good idea to do a uh, a uh, retrospective discussion. Retrospective is not really the word, is it? Yeah, comprehensive discussion. Comprehensive is the word I want <laughs> of, uh, of Ridley Scott. That's right. We'll be um, deeply analysing the film <laughs> Hannibal. <laughs> We're diving into the Ridleypedia. Yeah, the Ridleypedia. I like that. That's awesome. It's going to be the tag for the episode because we like Ridley Scott, He's, but he does have some ups and downs. So we'll discuss them. Uh, but then we'll also be uh, for the second half of the episode. We'll be answering a fan feedback question uh, in the it's sort of semi in the form of a top five. But uh, super fan, and I'm, I'm happy to call him super fan. Yeah. Super Mr. fan, Mister Scott Buchanan. Um, he, because he likes and and almost comments on every single episode on Facebook, and uh, he's a goddamn legend. If I ever met him in the flesh, they would be hugging. I swear to you. That's uh, scary, Moth. <laughs> we'll see if we can arrange that. <laughs> it would be absolutely brilliant. Um, so he's actually suggested a top five topic, uh, which was why we became science fiction fans. Mm. And, he's actually, and he's also provided his own, so I'll be reading his out as well. Cool, so, awesome. Who said we were science fiction fans? <laughs> I think it's fairly obvious that we're science fiction. Fans. Well, I take a look at your uh, your back wall, your bookshelf there, and both sections, both the female and male sections of the wall, have an inordinate amount of science fiction books. Our walls have genders. <laughs> let's, not get, let's not get into that. That's a whole different category. Some walls have ears, ours have genders. Um, <laughs> uh, before we move on to uh, that, I just want to make a special announcement. Do we need a special announcement music? That's your special announcement music. <laughs> is that your special announcement music? I like that. That's good. It's like news. Yeah, the news bulletin. Hello, San Diego. Stay classy, San Diego. Don't forget to duck and cover. Yes. So, um, yeah, no, special announcement. It's really, really cool. Matthew from uh, ECN, uh, Matt from ECN, um, has married his uh, longtime love, Angela Bellocchio. Please, God, let's, I hope I got that right. Um, a couple of days ago, and that's freaking awesome. Um, Congrats, Matt. Congratulations. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Well it done. It's really, really cool. Um, Matt is an absolute champion, and, uh, and like I said, when we meet in the flesh, there will be hugs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, and, uh, and Angela, Angela, from all accounts, from I've never met, I've never met her, but from all accounts, she is lovely as well. And it just so good luck to both of them. And uh, judging from the photos, it was a lovely low-key affair. I want to see the photos. I will show you the photos. It's very cool. It's very, very cool. They're obviously in love, and that's what the world needs. Absolutely. I mean, the world needs more love. 
Yeah, so let's move on to uh, the show with our special on Ridley Scott. Okay, so Ridley Scott, born in northeast England, which I, I, I knew he was from the UK, but I thought he was Welsh. Oh, he's a northerner. Northerner. <laughs> Does that mean something? I don't know anything about that sort of stuff. He's, I don't know. It's a bit of a north-south Is it? rivalry yeah, yeah. thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That whole War of the Roses thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The northerners, the, are, the northerners are often seen as a bit simple and that was, uh, funny accents. and yeah. That was just a light skirmish that's in the grand of, scheme of history. It's kind of funny, though, North East England. Like, yeah, well, yeah. Anyway, I think we're focused too far too much on the fact that he's from North England. Um, he was brought up in an army family, along with his siblings. One of those, of course, being Tony Scott. Might explain why all Tony Scott films are just like 40 Military minutes of explosions propaganda. over and over and over again. Uh, and of course Tony no longer with us um, but he was also a director in his, in his own right not um, a good one though fuck <laughs> editorialising <laughs> respect for the dead please yeah, that's well enough. there's respect and then there's, there's truth and let's be honest he wasn't very good <laughs> well, when you're comparing the two <laughs> yeah, he well, was definitely the lesser of the two he studied at the Royal College of Art in London uh, contributing to their magazine ARC um, and for his final show he made a black and white short film called Boy and Bicycle Starring both his younger brother and his father, which was later released as an extras on the Duelist DVD, which is pretty yeah. cool. That's pretty sweet. I like that. That's pretty cool. <laughs> um, he has secured a job as a trainee set designer with the BBC. The producers of the fine docudrama uh, The Outcast. Uh, the, yeah, the Outcast. <laughs> the Outcast, yeah. It's a fine docudrama Doctor Who. So. <laughs> which was, I'm glad that you mentioned Doctor Who because he was originally assigned to design second, the second Doctor Who serial, The Daleks. Cool. But he didn't. And was cool. replaced by Raymond Kusiak. You know, that actually worked out pretty well for him in the end. <laughs> now, that, now that you think about it. He's done all right. <laughs> yeah, I, don't yeah, that, I don't think he's too upset about that. No, no, no. I think that, that worked out well for all of us, really. <laughs> uh, but he also did uh, direct some episodes of some television series, including Adam Adamant Lives. Yep, Adam Adamant. Adam Adamant. Oh, I thought you said Adamant. No, Adam Adam Adamant. Adam Adam Ant. Adam Ant. Music. He also created Adam Ant as a live show. No, he did um, He also directed two other episodes, but they're no longer available because of BBC's bullshit wiping policy. Yep. Screw you, BBC. They did not foresee the future of DVD, etc. Well, well, no, they didn't. They, <laughs> they were hopeless. Bloody assholes. In 1968, Ridley and Tony founded Ridley Scott Associates RSA, a film and a commercial production company. Uh, working alongside Alan Parker, Hugh Hudson, and jo- Hugh Johnson. Was and that, made... Sorry, was that Alan Parker? Alan Parker. That's pretty damn awesome. Yeah. Alan Parker and Ridley Scott working together. They made commercials at RSA during the 70s, including the award-winning 1973 Hobart's advertisement, Bike Round. So there you go. Never seen it. Moving on. <laughs> I'm trying to be as, as informative and yet not have to read every single thing on here. Yeah, fair enough. Isn't these most famous isn't these most famous ads for Chanel number no. five? Oh yeah, here we go. In yeah. the nineteen seventies, Chanel number no. five <laughs> needed revitalization. And he Scott then directed a whole bunch of Chanel television commercials which were inventive mini films, and all of them I have seen, and yeah, they are awesome. They are actually pretty damn impressive for commercials, as you can see, sort of see the skill already there. Did he start days. that thing where if it's a weird commercial, then you realise it's going to be a, a Most likely perfume, a perfume. Yeah. It doesn't mention Scott Free. When did they start Scott Free Productions? Much later, I think. I'm assuming afterwards, yeah. 
If it's not there, that's then... Ridley and Tony, Tony as well, right? Yeah, yeah but I yeah. think that was when um, they actually started. They broke into the film industry. Into yeah, movies. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Fair enough. All right. Well, mentioning the movies, let's move on to uh, the movies. His first film is The Duelist, shot in Europe, and nominated for prizes, which he won an award for best film at Cannes. Wow. Set during the Napoleonic Wars follows two French officers, De Hubert and Faroud, played by Keith Carradine and Harvey Keitel, yep. um, which is a bit of feud that spans 15 years. So, anybody seen it? Yes. It's it, it, For a first film, it's actually quite good. It's beautifully directed, okay. like it's, it's a stunning-looking film. Very pretty. Um, there, there's some flaws, I think, in the story, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it drags a little bit at times, but... It's certainly, yeah, visually an absolutely beautiful film to watch. Yeah, I agree. And and Uh, show show some early incredible skill for a a first-time film director. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the the Chanel ads Mm. show just where he's going to go from there, yeah. Some some people take take time to make that that step from, say, television directing or advertisement directing into film mm. you know they are different different mediums to shoot on and there are different skills involved and he's just done it like like it's nothing yeah like, yeah i can do that no well, worries if anything the second film proves that uh he yeah. was originally uh planned to adapt a version of and i always get this like this name right Trist, tristan and isolda isolda i don't get it uh but after seeing star wars he became convinced of the potential of large-scale effects-driven films and accepted the job of directing alien um, just before that, he was actually before Alien because he was so enamored with the, all the space stuff in Star Wars. He was actually going to try and make Tristan and Isolde, and his older um, a st- uh, science fiction. As a science fiction film, film yeah. Um, mm. Then he, eventually, he produced a version of Tristan and Isolde much, much later. Um, he didn't direct it, but yeah, that was that was the original plan before Alien to do a space Tristan and Isolde. Cool. Fortunately, instead of that, he went... <laughs> <laughs> which, which is not to say that that might not have been awesome. I'm sure it would have been lovely. Yeah. Yeah. However, he went on to make one of the greatest science fiction films ever. Um, yes, I'm going to talk a bit about Alien because, yeah, I absolutely adore this film. I don't really know what to say about it, to be honest. It's, 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 it's terrific. Brilliant. <laughs> it's brilliant. <Move> um, <laughs> Well, first of all, it introduces us to the work of H.R. Geiger, um, who designed, you know, possibly the most iconic alien in the history of cinema. Um, except for Marvin the Martian. Except for <laughs> Marvin the Martian, yeah, that is true. They're the top two. Um, but also, what, um, one of the things I want to point out, in relation to Ridley Scott here, is um, he gives us the character of Ripley, and Ripley comes at an absolute like pivotal time for filmmaking it's like you know there was an emerging women's movement and he gives us an iconic strong-willed incredibly powerful female character Mm. um and really sets a tone for his his career um one of the things that uh ridley scott is known for is great female characters um and and this is the i think sets the mold like Mm. and and really whilst you had princess leia before that Ripley sets the mould for the, the tough of, uh, as nails um, science fiction female characters that have really now become a bit of a, a standard in the genre. Plus, you know, like I said, it's a brilliant film. It is incredibly scary. It gave us, you know, the iconic, uh, you know, chest exploding scene that has been mimicked many, many, many times in films. Um, 
And yeah, it's brilliant. If you actually haven't seen it, like if you're one of those rare nerds and for some reason, Alien, you just you didn't see it yet, hmm. then, then stop listening right now. Go and watch it. Don't let Prometheus no. put you off. <laughs> I actually like Prometheus. Any, any chance for a stab at Prometheus, I'll take it. Um, Could it rare... pay me enough to go and watch it? <laughs> that's because you're a skeety cat. No, that's just not. <laughs> it's just a nope. Um, you know, one of those rare occasions where um, the director is actually happier with the original than he is with the director's cut. Mm. Yeah. He thinks the director's cut was just a marketing tool. Yeah. Um, um, but that's. And, you know, uh, he is the director. Yeah, well, so they released. They would have it. cut that. Yeah, well, he cut bits out, and then they they released it again with those bits streamed yeah. back in. Again. As in, he did the original cut, and then went, "No, nah, we're going to take bits out." And then yeah. they went years later. Don't, don't be fooled by the director's cut label on there. <laughs> it doesn't mean <laughs> he's saying it. These days, these days they call it special editions. Yeah, so. special yeah. editions. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Blade Runner was different. He was personally involved, but the rest of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there you go. So that's Alan. That's pretty much all you need to say. Yeah, pretty much. Um, it's genius. Between that and Star Wars, the two defining sci-fi films of the late seventies. He then went went on to uh, one of the other defining films uh, (laughs) of uh, science fiction cinema uh, in Blade Runner, Um, which the director's cut is much better. Yes, that's true. The director's cut is better, which I'm sure Luke is about to mention. So take it away. Um, okay, so we've actually talked about Blade Runner extensively previously. Yeah. Our two highest rating the episodes. Um, in terms of our uh, Do Androids Dream um, mm. episodes. Um, so I'm going to keep some of my comments as brief as I can and try and relate it to Ridley Scott. The thing about Blade Runner is its director's vision. Is its chief selling point. Mm. Um, that, dark vision of the, of the, that dark vision of the future, which is a subversion of... The metropolis future, which is all bright and shiny on the surface, and then when you look under the under layers, it's you know dirty and scruffy. This is dirty and scruffy right from the outset. Mm. Um, uh, it, it's you know grandness that has fallen into decadence, um, I think, and that's you know the, that that's its chief selling power. This this sort of bright future that we were sort of promised actually hasn't come about, um, and that's um, the thing that really sells it. Um, the other, the other thing, strong thing about this, and I think it links back to Alien, and even to a certain extent, the Duelist, um, which is whether you agree with that the um, attempt is successful or not. What he tries to do is, in this grand vision, not lose sight of character. Mm-hmm. Whether you agree on how successful that is, and how successful he is, whether you like the films that he does that, that he does. Um, you can't deny that there is at least an attempt to not forget that there are characters Ooh, wandering yeah. in and, in and around the elaborate scenery, mm-hmm. um, and I think this is a this is probably the best example of that. I think with Alien, I think um, Ripley's story is actually carried f- much better in its sequel. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, whereas here, it is very much about um, Roy Batty. It is very much about Deckard. Um, and you've got the the interesting thing of well, who is actually the the true good guy here? Is it deck? Is it Deckard who's completely self removed from humanity and takes a long time to actually get involved um, emotionally? What's going on? Or is it Batty who is yes killing people at the start, but actually has very human reasons for um, doing what he does, which is described, which is um, acted beautifully by um, Rutger Hauer in the final in his final moments on screen. Um, and so yeah, don't, that's that's another selling power is that he doesn't actually forget that there are people that we have to um, attach ourselves to. Um, it, 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 some of the, sometimes the characters aren't always that well 
always fleshed out. Gladiator being a good example of that later on. Um, but I think this is the perfect example here of him trying to create a massive uh, visual experience, but not lose sight of people. Yeah. Um, and I think that's one of the things he brings to filmmaking, um, particularly these days, where it a lot of that does get lost. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. from, not just from people like Michael Bay, from good filmmakers too, like Spielberg forgets it occasionally. Peter Jackson has forgotten it on occasion, particularly recently. Mm. Um, and so he, yeah, but he has always tried to rein things into the experiences of the characters we're watching. Yeah. Um, and it just helps that, you know, in this case, he created a masterpiece from the architecture through to um, the special effects through to um, uh, through to the characters, as I said before. And it's just a shame that it wasn't hit immediately. It, it is the director's cut that does bring home some of that as well. Um, it actually it's... gives you a stronger hint of the vision. And it is the one director's cut that is probably actually better than the um, the theatrical release, I think. Mm. It's it really has is the textbook definition of a cult film. Mm-hmm. Total bomb when it first came out, and just bit by bit, its reputation built and built and built to the point where it's now seen by many as the greatest science fiction film ever made. And because of that, I would argue that it's actually not a cult film, any, cult film anymore. It's sort of entered into the zeitgeist um, much further than that. And it had, it, yeah, it has now. Do yeah. you say so do you put the final cut above the director's cut? No, because the final cut doesn't really add. Anything. The director's cut actually gives you a completely different perspective on its main character, or on the let me rephrase that on the possibilities of as to who the main character, what the main character might actually be. Mm. Um, the final cut doesn't really do anything new. It doesn't actually add to the experience. It's not. A, mm. It doesn't cheapen the film by any stretch of the imagination, mm. but it doesn't broaden it further. Okay. Uh, then he returned to uh, advertisement for the uh, the much loved. 1984 Apple Macintosh commercial, mm. which is probably one of the most famous ads ever produced. Mm. Yes, yeah. um, it's it's unbelievably good, and uh, ripped off by uh, Madonna, <laughs> it, which is actually a pretty cool music video. But but uh, that ad is just is unbelievably awesome, and uh, yeah, probably one of his major, major achievements up there with Alien and Blade Runner, actually, which is pretty good. Yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the ad of his that everyone remembers. Yeah. And that everyone, even even beyond his Chanel number no. 5 um, ads, this is the one that people will most likely have heard of mm. in some degree. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Apple Macintosh is? Yes. Not, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know the ad. Yeah, oh, right, okay. We should probably check it out on YouTube. <laughs> I'm not an ad aficionado. <laughs> <laughs> not very much. What do you say? That sounded kind of condescending. Oh, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> You're mean. Uh, back to films for Legend, um, a fantasy film. So he's moved on from science fiction to do some fantasy. Uh, it stars uh, Tom Cruise as uh, Jack, uh, Mia Sara as Princess Lily, and the brilliant Tim Curry. As the Lord of Darkness, it uh, it had mixed <laughs> a mixed response. Um, I'm not a fan. I'll be honest with you. Uh, I, 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 am. Retro, I, yeah. I I I saw it at the cinemas as a kid and yeah. absolutely loved it. Um, it was actually the darkest and creepiest fantasy thing I'd ever seen at that point. Yeah. And Tim Curry, I mean Tim Curry steals the show mm. really. 
Really, Tim, Tim, Tim Curry is just <laughs> awesome. And well, Dunk- look who he's up against. Tim, I mean, yeah. Tom Cruise and Mia Sara are not exactly charismatic. Yeah. But <laughs> I mean, um, also, also credit needs to be given to the makeup people that actually did Tim Curry up as the Lord of Darkness because yes. he absolutely looks brilliant as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a, that's Legend's chief selling point. Yeah, <laughs> it's visual sumptuousness and yeah, the soundtrack from absolutely. Tangerine Dream, which yeah, is pretty sweet as well. Yeah, absolutely. But, but um, yeah, as, as with all Rodley, Ridley Scott films, it is just a beautifully looking film. Yeah. I think yeah, that's the common theme. Shot. Beautiful looking. Beautifully shot. Sometimes doesn't quite work yeah. <laughs> in the story department. So. Yeah. But, you know, we'll move. That's, that's yeah, well, I keep remembering what um, Andy Weir says. You give him a good script, you get a beautifully made good film. You give him a bad script, you get a beautifully made bad film. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's a good point. Very good. Looking at you, Exodus. <laughs> God Damn, that movie sucks. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get to that as we go along. Uh, so going through the rest of them, uh, we'll just we'll just mention them and sort of touch on them if you need, if you need to. Someone to watch over me with Tom Berenger. Good film. Uh, yeah, I don't mind it. I enjoy it. Yeah, I don't mind it. You know. Black Rain with Michael Douglas. Bad. You're not a fan? Move on. Which is a shame because I love Andy Garcia. <laughs> oh Once again, God. it's a beautiful looking film. Yeah. And it's J- Jan DeBont's cinematography in that is fantastic. Unfortunately, Jan DeBont then went on and tried to direct films, and that should never have happened. <laughs> oh, really? Okay, <laughs> yeah. okay. awesome. He's a great cinematographer, did not make a good director, but they worked well together visually yeah. to get the look of the film. I, I got you. Name one Jan DeBont film. Speed. Oh, okay. <laughs> I knew that name ringed it right about. Um, and uh, Black Rain is also notice, notable for uh, it's the first um, Hans Zimmer really Scott collaboration. Of which there would be many. many. Yeah, <laughs> at, at least six or seven. Yeah. yeah. At the very, at the, just off the top of my head. Mm. All right. Uh, he then went on to Thelma and Louise with Gina, da- Gina Davis and Susan Sarandon um, which, which, and Brad Pitt's breakthrough role. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've got to tell you, I'm actually, I, I mean, I respect it for what it does, but I'm not that big a fan of the show. I, I think mm. this is um, the realisation of what starts with Ridley, though, mm-hmm. for him, to just take female characters and really make something. It's probably the best, the best, actually, best realised female characters that he has um, outside of Ridley. Um, Ripley. Ripley. You say Ridley. Yeah. Yes. I'm only just saying the connection. Ridley, Ripley. Yeah. I just made it. it up. It's him in female. Ripley's form. a Mary Sue. <laughs> <laughs> Ripley is not a Mary Sue. Not well, not until after Ridley Scott is finished with her. But, <laughs> well, but um, yeah, he, he, this is, I think, like one of the ultimate depictions of uh, the strong female characters that he's known for. So. And I actually like it. I think mm. it's a really good film. I like it too. Yeah. But I'm not that big a fan. It's, it's also, I think, very different to what he directed yeah. before. Like, he, he he strips back a little of the, of the stylized visuals that he has on his previous films. Yeah. And directs in a more natural style here. I'm totally with you. I'm, I'm yeah. glad it's a, it's, a, it's a return to form after Black Rain. Because <laughs> 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 that film's terrible. Uh, he, also, he was also nominated for an Academy Award for Thelma and Louise. So yeah. that's pretty cool. Uh, then he went on to at 1492 Conquest of Paradise. Which is just awful. Ambitious, but doesn't really succeed for me. <laughs> Horrible. Uh, he then did not release another film for four years. 4092 Burnt Burnt Soul. What you got to think? Oh, here we go. So, in 1995, Tony and Scott pro- 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 create Scott Free. Yeah. There you go. I knew, I, I knew it was something. God damn it. <laughs> the uh, next film is White Squall. Haven't seen it. Anybody? No, it was it, it was one of those ones that flew under the radar, and I don't think people actually knew that it was a Ridley Scott film at the time. No, you've no. got to remember at this point, um, it, one of the white squalls, squall point, he sort of 
fallen out of the limelight a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's his first film in four years. I yeah, think. and so the the name Ridley Scott didn't actually carry much weight. Yeah, had, and then um, at this point, um, which today is shocking. Yeah, these <laughs> days, these days you sell a film on Ridley Scott's name, whereas yeah. you couldn't sell a film on Ridley Scott's name yeah. in the mid nineties. Right. Yeah, you're you're also looking at a period sort of before the. Um, Resurgence of Blade Runner as well. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, the, the resurgence of Blade Runner, the release of the director's cut, and everything helped, you know, propel him once again into mm. the into the spotlight. So well, this yeah, this dark period as we call it, mm. it also has G.I. Jane, which I know you're a fan of. I don't mind G.I. Jane, but then yeah. it comes, it you know, it comes down to the focus on the character now. Whether you like Demi Moore or not, that's beside the point. Um, I actually don't think she's all that bad in this. I think she does. She tries to rise above. Um, the stuff that she's been cast as previously and tries to grit it up. Um, but, you know, fo- coming back down to focus on her, um, I think, is, is, the, is the strong selling point and trying to actually um, showcase a strong female character. Um, particularly in the 90s, we've got to remember, at this point there was a, a, a feminist uh, revival. If, if, if mm. to, to choose my words very carefully, um, and this was trying to um, come at the forefront of that. Yeah, but I think it's a little too on the nose. It's interesting. We always, when we refer to strong female characters, we're always referring to someone who's kicking butt or you know fighting for the rights. So just mm. strong female characters can be just an everyday female person that has a good character written for them. Sure, I totally, totally agree with that, and which, and which is why True, I think G.I. Jane is but the pursuit, is too over the other side. It's like she can't be strong unless she is also kicking yeah, butt. But mm. the but you've also got to remember the perception um, that a lot of men had at the time was you know the only way, the only way that a woman could be seen as being strong was to get it to. That's the point I was making. Yeah, you know, and that's what I'm yeah, saying. That's yeah. what I'm saying. It's there's a percept, yeah. there was a perception at the time that people were trying to rally against. This was trying to come at the forefront of it, but. Yeah, I can see the also, point that we're um, making about. Yeah, also too, we're we're talking about Hollywood's depiction of women here, yeah. which has always been fairly weak, um, you know, and certainly has improved. But um, I think some of Catherine Hepburn's characters were quite strong. True, yeah. true, but that 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 sort of pre-code period, especially the twenties and, and early thirties period, um, but then they lost a lot of that, um, and yeah, yeah what and, happened there? Um, like they're actually generally quite well represented, and then for suddenly they they weren't. Well, I mean, I mean, well, um, in the societal like, societal change. Um, the fifties was a very along. yeah. The fifties <laughs> was a very conservative period. Right. Uh, that that post war period um, yeah. was very conservative, and um, Hollywood didn't. The 50s came along. <laughs> and, and Hollywood didn't necessarily catch on um, to the 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 feminist movement in the sixties and seventies. Uh, didn't necessarily catch on to that in its earliest stages and it took a while for them to get the hang of it. And then of course, once then, then the eighties hit and you get a conservative backlash again. Mm. It's because you have to remember Hollywood largely run by men. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. Exactly right. Yeah. So, um, set in their ways. Yeah. Bloody men. <laughs> uh, and then uh, he moved on to gladiator. Oh. I, I was given Gladiator as a Easter present. I know that's weird. <laughs> I, that is weird because I, mean, I, I don't eat chocolate. Yeah. So so Ben Hur was Ben Hur was wasn't available. To, uh, <laughs> it was given to me on a double video cassette, and I thought I, I, it took years before I found 
I could find four hours to sit down and watch it. And I still, <laughs> I still have never seen that particular. I never, never popped that those videos into the VCR. I think it was um, we had it on DVD or Blu-ray or something, and I saw the first twenty minutes of it. I'm like, I can't sit through four hours of this. <laughs> it's not four hours long. <laughs> Three hours long. I, I do actually. It's yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you there. The recre the recreation of ancient Rome, um, and some of the some of the shots of sunsets that he's got. Uh, yeah. Beautiful. It's a beautiful looking film. Yeah, but you need some story, yeah, and no, the that, character and that, work to go along with that's, it. That's, that's the point I'm going to make. There's actually yeah. a very light story, and he himself has actually said that. Yeah. He was actually surprised that it got nominated for all the Oscars it did, and that it, it was it winning things like ass. That it was winning things like um, best. Um, screenplay, yeah. when both he and Russell Crowe had actually complained about the fact that um, Maximus was, Maximus himself was not a very fleshed out character. Oh, he was boring. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> Maximus was yeah. the main character, yeah. but he was boring. Yeah. Anything. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I love the film. Don't get me wrong; it's awesome, and it's it's it's, it's a lot. It's a lot of fun in terms of action and yeah, mm. vistas and and uh, that sort of stuff. And I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Russell Crowe fan, but yeah, it's weak. <laughs> it um, is weak. Well, I mean, it 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 doesn't help that um, uh, Wacom Phoenix's character Still. is actually far more interesting than the main character, and he actually, I think, really steals the show in that I film. Don't think it I was got like a, his character. It was a real career starting, uh, like movie for him. Like yeah. he he was on fire up from that point onwards, and and everybody was talking about his performance. Mm, yeah, and even though you know Russell gets his Academy Award and everything, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, it was Wacom Phoenix that everybody really actually focused on as far as acting goes. He's had a really interesting character and he's quite a character, career, and he's quite chameleon like. You yeah. have to see him, yeah. I often see him in things and then realize halfway through, well, oh, hang on, that's Wacom. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah he's, he is awesome. But uh, yeah, so glad he had a relate to uh, the, the, res, the, uh, the rid, Ridsurgence. Yeah. Yeah, the Ridsurgence. <laughs> The Renaissance. I don't know. I tried. It was pretty bad. <laughs> but you are, cor- you are correct. Ridley Scott's name became the, because Gladiator was a huge film. It was a massive mm. success. It made a star, Russell Crowe, um, and yeah, Ridley Scott started getting yeah. offers again. It was a beautifully um, made epic. Yeah, it, it's mm. yeah. You can't fault. You can't. That's what I'm saying. You can't fault his filmmaking on that. I'm glad, yeah. I'm glad you, called, you called it the epic. We'll get, we'll get back to that when we get back to me later yeah, on. Unfortunately, he then Hannibal <laughs> made what I consider to be. The single worst film he's ever directed. Really? Yep. Even after, even Prometheus. I liked Prometheus. Yeah, that you like so, Prometheus. Yeah. Really? No, I th- I think this film is awful. It is awful. I don't think. And and here's the thing. I it's to I me it that. felt like he was like, um, can, you know, I've I've signed the contract for this, and then Gladiators become really big, and it's like, ah, oh, but I've still got to make this film. It's it seems very pedestrian. But you seen fourteen ninety two? Yeah. Fourteen ninety two still is still beautifully shot. It it's still pretty. looks true. looks fantastic. This film to me, it's like it, by the numbers, Ridley Scott. They it's like it in. yeah, it's like yeah. oh god, I got to make this film. Ah, oh, okay, well, you know, and and it, there's none of the for me at least, there's none of the signature Ridley yeah. Scottness about the there's film. There's no Scottness, you know? yeah. But just just forgetting forgetting that for a sec, Hannibal's problems lie solely with its script and its source material as well. Um, I, I mean, you know, I, agree, is, I agree with the script and the source material, but I, I don't think say, that's the sole solely. problem. Yeah, okay, but, uh, but the script in, is awful. The script is awful. It, it is. doesn't actually. It, it it's relying too much. It relies too much on Hannibal Lecter being. First of all, Hannibal Lecter is not the focus. It should no. not be the focus of the story. Um, it's about. It should be about Clarice's attempts to try and track him down. But it focuses mm. too much on 
what Hannibal is up to, because it's making the mistake that we all think that Hannibal is um, the fascinating character in, yeah, and the focus of the story. He's, he's, fasc- not. he's fascinating because he's not the, the yeah. focus of the story. Um, and I, and to get, I think there is a bit of, I think there is a bit of um, Ridley Scott ishness in the Vienna scenes. Yes, um, a, a, a little bit. Certainly, certain certain scenes in Hannibal actually went. Are they trying to turn um, Lecter into Dracula? And that's you know through some of the sweeping shots, through some of the um, the the, uh, the underground, uh, not uh, the bird, the worm's eye view shots of him walking past, and he's got a billowing cape. Yeah, um, mm. and that's with um with some uh, very uh, suffused lighting, which is a very Ridley Scott thing to do. So the Vienna stuff is very Ridley Scott. Yeah. Um, that's probably the but, most interesting stuff in the film. Um, it's all the other stuff around that that's not very. What, what, I, what I find lacking, though, I mean, first of all, yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree with what you're saying with some of those shots, mm. but usually we're talking a whole visual all experience film, yeah. with his movies. But also, his depiction of Clarice is very weak. Mm. Like normal, like Clarice Starling, there's a character that you know you would think Ridley Scott would really sink his teeth into. She's a fascinating character. Yeah, but not in the script, though. But the thing is, surely he could have worked with that, you know, and, and made mm. something. And that's what I'm saying when I say it really feels very pedestrian, like it was just like, oh, I can do whatever I like now because of Gladiator, but I've still got to make this film. Yeah, like, he, t- he tends mm. to follow the script quite closely. Yeah. To and, his detriment. Uh, yeah, and I just felt that, you know, I mean, I, I, I went into the film thinking, you know, given that this was the man that did give us Ripley and Thelma and Louise and even, you know, G.I. Jane, Jane as flawed as it is. Yeah, but he didn't write those characters. But he still brought those characters to life on the screen. Yeah. And I was expecting him to be able to do that with Clarice Starling, who was already a brilliantly built-up character from Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, and, I think he was hand though, by the script version. Even the, the book version of Clarice is bad hmm. in Hannibal. But they changed, they changed it from... And I agree with you, but they changed it from the book anyway. But, yeah. um, well, that's true. But I, I don't know, it just didn't feel like a, a Ridley Scott film It just Scott goes to say that me. even Ridley Scott could not save Clarice <laughs> from that terrible script. Uh, he then moved on to Black Hawk Down, which I like. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fan. Uh, is it uh, uh, Eric Banner? It is the Eric Banner. I, I like it mainly because Eric Banner is it. That's <laughs> <laughs> the first time I'd seen... Or I hadn't seen the film, but it's the first time I was aware of Eric Banner as a serious actor. Because I've only ever seen it before then. I've never seen him in um, Full Frontal like mm. doing portrayals of um, Ray Martin. Martin on the TV. Yeah. And it's just, I still find it weird to see him doing serious mm. stuff. He's quite good. But He's I, very I good. find it very weird. Yeah. Well, f- funnily enough, the Americans never actually, Saw like it took them 10 years yeah. or something to finally cast him in a comedy because no one believed he was a comedian because <laughs> they'd seen, you know, Black Hawk Down and Chopper <laughs> and... Uh, I mean, it was to me as if you'd pulled Steve Weisart out and stuck him in... A big Hollywood blockbuster. Yeah. It's just, it was just weird. I like the comedian. <laughs> quite a lot of comedians are quite, are quite good dramatic actors. Yeah, yeah. I, just, I find it very fascinating. Candace Bergen Matthew Brown. Yeah. yeah. Well, Candace Bergen is good anyway. Yeah. So I actually think <laughs> Black oh, Hawk... In anything she's Actually, in. Oh, that was the opposite <laughs> way around. But yeah. um, I actually think Black Hawk Down shows Ridley Scott's ability to actually make something out of what is a pretty weak script. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of... Awful so that, Americanism. Black, Black Hawk Down shows what he could have done with Hannibal. Exactly, exactly. But I yeah. just don't think he was interested in Hannibal. <laughs> really, that, that, that's what it, it feels was, it was like. To pay me. the bills. I could be completely wrong, but yeah. It does, from what we've discussed earlier, it does sound more like a story that Tony Scott would have taken on. Yeah, yeah. 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 Given that Tony Scott worked with Jerry Bruckheimer previously on several yeah. On everything, yeah. Um, I'm actually not a fan of Black Hawk Down. Yeah. No, oh, there you go. Um, you know, the, the chopper, the, the bit where it falls, the, the, the bit where it, um, it crashes. You know, it's a it's a nicely visualized moment, but I 
got bored, I said they're going, it's 40 minutes of just fighting. Mm. It's based on a true story. Yeah, but it's so well done. Not really. <laughs> but this is this is the thing, though. It's, it is a return, I think, to that um, visual experience that he always brings to films. Like, it is a beautiful-looking film. I admit it's, it's, it's flawed as well. Like, I, I, I actually was quite surprised because I expected more Jerry Bruckheimer-ness. There is a bit of Jerry Bruckheimer-ness there, but I actually expected more of that. And I'm not a fan of Brookheimer yeah, at I, all I, as a I agree with Luke, though. There is only so much fighting sequence you can take mm. all in yeah. one yeah, shot. Yeah, like, well, yeah. I'm with you. Uh, he then moved on to a film that I haven't seen. Um, I'm shocked you've sorry, seen a film. My iPad. I haven't seen everything. Um, so either the good year or Matchstick Match Men. Men. Yeah, I've seen it. I quite like Matchstick Men. Um, it's again more of the film on the least type Ridley Scott so not visual excess at all yeah. brings it down to um, a performance Nicolas Cage is you know surprisingly not annoying in this <laughs> um, I quite like it's been a while since I've seen it and I don't have too many memories of the story um, but I do remember watching it at the time and, and actually being uh, entertained by it yeah after the big sort of you know visual blockbuster thing that Black Hawk Down was I think he's felt the need to do something small and a little bit under the radar and it yeah and that's what Matchstick Men was yeah and it wasn't a big hit I actually no. I quite find Nicholas Cage entertaining I don't think he's the greatest actor in the world but I find him quite entertaining <laughs> he, he, but he tend, Nicholas Cage occasionally tends to play the big over the top crazy guy when mm. he doesn't need to he yeah. likes to do yes he does like not to, to do bees. That. well Leaving Las Vegas proved that I think Nicholas mm. Cage was the best singing cast I hated that movie. Yeah. Though, well, that's true. Yeah. That's yeah. That's what yeah. He's, he's using his powers for good. Yeah, he, he, <laughs> yeah, he and Chloe Moretz were the only interesting things in Kickers. All right. Well, then uh, after Match Six Men, he moved on to Kingdom of Heaven, which is my one. Um, I'm a fan of Kingdom of Heaven. It's, it's his return to his his epic epic storytelling. Um, it is. Uh, it was originally released uh, in a uh, like two, you know, two hour type version. Mm. Uh, after a preview screening, and I'll, I'll, I'll touch on his preview screening stuff in a second. But and uh, so he shaved forty five minutes off and and released it. He wasn't happy, so he then uh, did his director's cut, which is it just restores that forty five minutes. So it is actually now over three hours. Um, it's it's it is, it is it's a big it's a big a big epic story. Um, now I I I like it despite uh, admitting its many flaws. It's it's got uh, as uh, Luke would put out just fight scenes that go on for far too long. Um, but I think its main flaw is that its lead a- his lead actor is Orlando Bloom, and <laughs> the guy's terrible. He just he can't be a lead actor. No, I mean it's, I'm, I'm willing to let Legolas go. I'm willing to let the Pirates of the Caribbean guy go. But in, in both those cases, he wasn't the main He's character. He's not the main character, that's right. And so in this where he's actually the main character. And when and you, when in a film up... where you've got Liam Neeson and, and, and Jeremy, Jeremy Irons. Irons. Yeah, exactly. So when, you see, when, you've got, when you're surrounding with characters of, of this calibre, it just show, it just makes painfully obvious that this is not the dude for the role. I mean, he looks pretty, but that's all that it is. Um, and even his prettiness is overshined by uh, the always magnificent Eva Green. So... Um, mm. Oh, she's gorgeous. Mm. <laughs> okay, all right, sorry. <laughs> Magnificent's not a word I'd use to describe her. Well, there she you go. does what she does. She does what she does. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> we'll let it go. Um, yeah, so it's in. Yeah, so it's it's got uh, it's it's too long. It has um, some story storytelling flaws. It uh, like all these things, it, it fly it plays uh, fast and loose with history, mm. um, but. I'm saying that it's got a lot to love. It's beautiful. 
everybody except for Orlando is, is, is brilliant at what they do. Not magnificent, but brilliant. And, uh, and, uh, um, and I enjoy it. It's, I mean, I, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of, I'm, I'm a history buff. I'm a big fan of that sort of period, the Crusades. And, uh, well, and when I say big fan, not the Crusades in what they did, because they're all a bunch of assholes. But, mm. but, you know, that's unlikely. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm fascinated no. by that period. Those wacky Crusaders. Oh, there was scum. Let's be honest. Scum. And, uh, yeah. So I like it for those very reasons. But uh, see it only if you're a fan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> only if you've got a spare three hours. Three hours and ten minutes to spare. <laughs> it's, one the, it's one of the recent ones of his that I haven't seen. That and A Good Year. Ah, which is uh, what I think we're about to be on. But before we do that, um, he, 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 made, he did an interesting comment about preview screens. He, he's, he's not a fan. <laughs> the the extra version, the director's cut version, is the version that, he, that should have gone out. And um, he, he was asked if he was a Gates previewing. And he said, it depends who's in the driving seat. If you've got a lunatic doing my job, then you need to preview. But a good director should be experienced enough to judge what he thinks is the correct version to go out of the cinema. So I think uh, Blade Runner burnt him bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know what, screw this. Well, Blade Runner proved him right. Yeah. Really? More than anything else. It's like, the version we released wasn't a success. The yeah. director's cut was. You so can't. screw you. And, I, and it's the same with this. I actually prefer the director's cut of the kid yeah. of heaven. I mean, you're, you're relying on a certain select group of cinema goers to, yeah. to judge the whole film. Yeah. That's, that's not, three not, hours not, really, is, not really good I, sample size. To, yeah. be, to be fair, it, it, there's no, nothing substantial said the director's cut itself would have been a success. You've got to remember that at that point when Blade Runner, Blade Runner was being released... Um, you had Harrison Ford, who was known for Han Solo and Indiana Jones, so people would have been expecting a certain type of entertainment. Um, science fiction at that point was um, spacefaring, uh, feel-good stuff, with the exception being Alien. Um, but even that was, you know, obviously science fiction, it was set in space. Mm. Um, this was telling, giving us a different perspective. So it, it was also, you know, audience... To get back to his point, to a certain degree, audience expectation at that point was not... Um, in Blade Runner's favour. Hmm. Um, they would have been expecting a completely different experience and entertainment to what he was providing. Yeah. They should have cast Russell Crowe. <laughs> no. Who would have been unbelievably young at the time. And... Maybe. No, not for Blade Runner. I think it'd be heard. <laughs> no. <laughs> anyway, I actually think I have seen it. Gladiator 2. Um, good majority. The script for, have, you seen the, have you heard the, the script for Gladiator 2? No. No. Written by Nick Cave. Okay. <laughs> uh, let, me, let me let me just do the quick segue to Gladiator 2's sequel. It, it, I, I really wanted this to be done, basically because you know Maximus dies at the end, right? Yeah. yeah. Spoiler alert: <laughs> Maximus dies at the end of Gladiator. Not a spoiler alert. It's telegraphed. It's just saving me four hours. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty obvious from the yeah. start, isn't it? Anyway, and so so sequel would deal with him being in the afterlife. So he's in the afterlife with his family, as he was promised. Mm. And well, this is a very Nick Cave sounding. But then he gets resurrected. And becomes an internal <laughs> warrior type deal. Maximus okay. so he becomes resurrected and has to fight in um, in multiple wars okay. as an immortal warrior throughout history. And I can't remember why. He, he, I think he upsets a god of some kind. I think one of the gods gets upset, and so yeah, so he has to basically just keep fighting over and over and keep dying. He has to, you know, every time he, he dies, he gets resurrected again into another war and. Then, don't call it Gladiator 2, just, you know, make oh, that film. Yeah, it's more interesting. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like um, I can't remember, I can't remember how it ends. It sounds like Highlander. Well, yeah, I guess. <laughs> uh, but uh, oh, I thought it was fascinating, yeah. Um, Nick Cave, Australia's own. Uh, then uh, after um, the the flawed but still cool Kingdom of Heaven, he moved on to A Good Year, which uh, I have seen and I'm not a fan. 
I don't think I've seen it. I haven't seen it. No. Have you seen it? No. Complete? But I think it was a, it, it, it was Russell Crowe. I remember it being a low point again. No one liked it. Everyone was going, well, these two sorely need a hit now. Yeah, Rupert mm. Murdoch said uh, it was a flop at a shareholders meeting. Yeah, who anyway. cares what Rupert Murdoch thinks? <laughs> yeah. Uh, He'll probably come after the podcast now because we said that. <laughs> He'll he crush us. If he offers to buy us out. No, that's Trump. <laughs> Trump. Trump will do that. Yeah. Uh, no, his next film is as American Gangster. Uh, yeah. with um, the always good Denzel Washington De- Denzel is fantastic in this <laughs> and Russell Crowe is actually really good in this yeah. as well my problem is is that with this one was that the text bit right at the very end of the film that tells you what happened next to me that I think sounded more interesting than the film itself was yeah, because the, the film itself was the yeah, a rise and fall of a gangster story which yeah. you know I'd seen multiple times before but then in the end, it's in the text at the end, it's like, oh, the policeman that was after him then be- yeah, became a lawyer and then defended him. And yeah. I'm like, there's there's a movie yeah. that's different to, to what I've seen. So yeah, I would have yeah. liked and to have seen that friends, story. You know? Yeah. That's, um, yeah. yeah. Ha- having said that, I mean, this is, once again, a very well-directed film. It's well acted. Um, and I enjoyed it for what it was. Yeah. But it's just like this bit at the end is like, this sounds like a really interesting and different story that I would have really liked to have seen in I mean, I'm totally with yeah. you. It's, I think you it's, uh, it's a lost opportunity, yeah. I think. But it's still better than Black Mass, though. Have you seen that? No. Holy shit, that feels terrible. <laughs> um, I, quite, I quite like Denzel, but I've mm. seen him in a lot of bad films. He needs a... There should be a masterpiece film out there for him. Well, there is. Oh, Malcolm X. Malcolm X, yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. His performance in that is phenomenal. Um, I, I'd also add... Um, his performance as Steve Beaker. Yeah, that's actually quite good. Yeah, in Cry Freedom. Is, is, that, is that Cry Freedom his film though? Well, I mean, it's, it's him and Kevin Klein, and yeah. he is the character that is basically yeah. propelling what's going on. Have you seen any of those? Uh, no, I do know of them, but yeah. I mean, that's two out of a. Oh, there's a. There are other good performances. I will watch of his, any but those film that Denzel that Washington's in. Oh, yeah. Okay, I'll watch. I'll watch it just because he's in it. I'm saying, and he, if it turns he, out to be bad, which he, he has had bad, yeah, Pro. he is good, but he's in a lot of bad yeah. stuff, yeah, which doesn't really suit his talent. Yeah, I'm with it. He's. I mean, he's in Man on Fire, mm. which is atrociously like, bad. I think you'd like Cry Freedom. It's a really powerful yeah, and compelling. I film. highly recommend. Yeah. Wasn't he in? Um, we all the Equalizer. Yeah. Yeah, but at least the Equalizer. Okay, he was good at the equaliser, the film was not good. <laughs> at all. And that's a common theme. Uh, let's turn it to a Denzel if it's, still, if it's still been alive, it's the kind of film that Tony Scott would have directed Denzel in. <laughs> the equaliser. Have you seen Man on Fire? Yeah. God, it's bad. Yeah. But Denzel, always good. Anyway, moving on. Um, he then moved on to Body of Lies. Uh, with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and again Russell Crowe yeah, Russell Crowe's kind of his muse yeah he, he and <laughs> Russell have got a thing going they've definitely got a thing going um, and uh, I think I have seen it but a long time ago has anybody yeah. seen it relatively recently this is the, this is the Middle East Middle yeah, East spy film yeah. yeah where Leonardo falls in love with the yeah um, it's 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 this is one of those films that's kind of interesting without necessarily being really compelling who's the love interest I forget. I oh, no, I'm thinking of I'm thinking of Blood Diamond. I was going to say for Connolly, that's Blood Diamond, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. No, no, no. It, this, it, this is set in the Middle East, and he, he actually Leonardo falls for um, an Islamic woman. Oh, okay, right. Okay. Um, uh, then moved on to uh, the very poor Robin Hood. Awful. Oh, yeah. It's 
What the hell? Russell Crowe again. Yep. Robin Hood Robin Hood Men in Tights is a better film. Mm. Russell Crowe should never have been Robin Hood. No. No. That's very poor miscasting. They've, they've gone for like a realistic sort of try to take it. It's just, it yeah, just trying doesn't... to include the Magna Carta stuff. Oh my God, it's bad. But it does, it, it fails miserably because it's just not interesting. Tight yeah. tights. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I said that in jest, but I'm serious. <laughs> I'd rather watch it. It was a more entertaining Whoa, film. Ha, Dodge, Parry, Ben, Thrust. <laughs> Daffy Duck is a more charming Robin Hood. Hoist, away. My problem here is this story is just not compelling in any way like i'm just not interested in it in, at all in and any it should aspect. be because it's robin hood yeah. yeah but you know it's 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 basic it's it's um hood begins effectively and yeah. i don't actually care about hood begins um you know give me hood if, begins no, if, I like if, if you don't if you don't want to if you don't want to give me you know there's the stuff we've said many times before like you know the quarter star fight with little john or, um, you know, the archery contest. Yeah. Fine, but you've still got to remind me as to why Robin Hood um, is this... An inspiration. This fascinating character mm. who's inspired many people to be, you know, good people mm. um, for centuries. Um, the, and, you know, there's, there is a little bit of, you know, rising up against resistance, but... Robin Hood, but Robin Hood doesn't fight against the French. It's what if Maximus was a th- yeah. was was Robin Hood. It's Robin, Hood fights, so, yeah. Robin Hood fights against the system. That's yeah. the whole point of the story. But even yeah. but even Maximus is more interesting a character than this depiction of Robin yeah, Hood. Really. Is. Uh, <laughs> then um, Tony and Ridley uh, started producing the TV series The Good Wife. The Good Wife is crying. <laughs> Um, which I have not seen a single episode, no, so I, I can't, can't say. I can't say that I have either, but I've heard I've heard good things, but I'm not really a, a sort of a political TV show. We know Raj is a fan, and that's all we need to know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, and then of course moved on to the Alien prequel continuation, ah, whatever you would call it, the piece of shit that is Prometheus. We reviewed it, move on. Yeah, move on. <laughs> <laughs> the less said about that, the better. There's nothing we can't say that we haven't already We've already said. talked about it. Uh, he then did uh, The Counselor. Oh, dear God. Is, I haven't seen it. Is this it is the lowest of the low no, points. Uh, really? This is a terrible film. Um, I play... It's I, the, author, I, the screenplay is Cormac McCarthy. Yes. How and, Cormac, and Cormac McCarthy should not be allowed near a typewriter, a pen and paper, uh a word processor of any kind. I'm not a fan. No. I think he's he did hot. the road, and that was yeah. slow bleak. Yeah, and he, but he's he's not a particularly good storyteller. Um, and this proves it. This is all over the shop. What's the, it about? What's the council about? I haven't read it. I haven't seen it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> haven't even, haven't even didn't even know it existed until this moment. See, I've blanked so much of it from my memory because it's so bad. Um, it is, it is, it, it, it is, it is a crime. It is a crime film involving double crosses, and Michael Fassbender plays a counselor for, or you know, a lawyer for um, a group of Nidderworlds led by um, Anton Chura. I can't remember his actual proper name, and you know, things fall apart from there when, particularly when his wife Cameron Diaz gets involved. It's yeah, like oh, it, cast. It, you know, it's it's all over the shop. It's not very well put together. It's not, not very well realised. He said it was his lowest no point. No one's a fan. It's, so it's, 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 it's Hannibal. Hannibal. Yep. It's Hannibal bad. Yep. It's right. Hannibal bad. Right. Yeah. I've never even heard of it. It is a weird cast. It is a weird cast. Hmm. Anyway, fair enough. Uh, and then, of course, he moved on to Exodus, Gods and Kings, which we said previously was terrible. And it is. I've it never is seen terrible. It. Never seen it. There is, like, it it's, a, it's that standard thing. There are some beautiful looking moments. Yeah. Just with a lot of mundane storytelling, which is strange because the Moses story is actually quite interesting yeah. for the most part. So it's Christian um, Bale's Moses. Christian Bale's Moses. Which is fine. Yep, got no problem with he that. He does what he has to do. Yep. But then it's it's 
Australia's own Joel Egerton. Who kind of just looks like he doesn't know what film he's in. He looks like Eric Banner (laughs) in Troy, actually. Yeah. Um, So I don't know what it is about Australians being in epics, not quite understanding what the epicness of the film is. I'm with you. I love Joel Egerton, right? Yeah. I love him. Edgerton. Edgerton. Yeah. I always get that name wrong. That's how much I love him. (laughs) (laughs) I can't even pronounce his name. Yeah. But I said, seriously, the moment he appears on screen, I was like, what are you doing? What's going on here? And none, and none of that. I'm not even talking about the whitewashing and all that sort of bullshit. Yeah. Right? I mean, because it clearly is whitewashing. Yeah. But but and, but I just I, I just, so, it, so you just had this, right. the same reaction as when you saw the heroes go, guy in Star Wars. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. So Exodus. Yeah, I was just like, what is going on here? And yeah, yeah. It, it's, it, got, it's got some great set pieces, mm. but it's but too long. Yeah, too long. And ultimately, Moses is a bit useless in the end. Yeah. For you know, there's that strange moment at the end where the Red Seas are parted. And they turn and face each other, and you think there's going, they're going to fight, and you're wondering why they're going to fight, <laughs> because you don't need to fight. All he's got to do is just get his people across, yeah. and the seas will crash. And it's just, and it's still a strange confrontation anyway, because why has Moses turned? It's it's a logic and inconsistencies in the characters that like that um, for the sake of drama yeah. that make no sense. Um, no one questions Moses at all as to why he's Aaron Paul keeps seeing Moses. Talking to himself. I mean, he's talk- we know that he's talking to God, yeah. but he sees him talking to himself. And at no point does he go, seriously, what the hell is up with that guy, and why are we following his lead? Yeah. He no kind of hints at it. He hints at it, but... But never actually does anything yeah. about it. It's like, come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The film is awful. I, just, I couldn't believe it. I, I was going to turn it off halfway through, and I was like, eh, I'll get going. Yeah, wasting my time. Um, I've never seen it, I must admit. Because some of it looks pretty. Hmm. And then the bit at the end where he's old and... He's, I just don't care anymore by this point. Mm. Anyway, we've slammed Exodus as enough as it is. Uh, then, of course, he uh, moved on to The Martian. Redeemed himself. Redeemed himself with The Martian. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, The Martian's good. The Martian's good. The Martian. I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't rank it amongst his best films or anything. No, but it's... it's, it's a, I mean, the, the book is good. The film is good. I mean, it's, yeah. it's the film... It, it, it's the film it, version it, of the it, book you would expect yeah, to see. It is, yeah. it is, it is yeah. a solid source, solid source material, if not exceptional, and it's a solid film. It is certainly entertaining yeah. and watchable. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and I will probably watch it again at some point down the road. Yeah. Out um, of all the Ridley Scott films I've seen, and I haven't seen anywhere near all of them, I'd rank Blade Runner and My Martian my top two. Okay. Fair enough. And that's... Pretty much it for his actual work stuff to date. Uh, he is working at the moment on a sequel to Prometheus. Yeah. Not the um, first which he should be working on. Yeah, I'll get to that in a sec. Um, which is Alien Covenant. And, yeah, I don't know. Um, the sequel to Blade Runner. He's not, yeah, he's not directing, he is producing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so at least I'll have, yeah, uh, you know. And Deckard show, does show up in the third act, which is... Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, but yeah, he should be doing the Forever War, which he's been trying to do for ages. Mm. And uh, so, does that mean Deckard is not a replicant because he would have aged if it is? Ah, it might be an aging replicant. Could be one of, yeah, they can make them aged. There, yeah, that, that that's one of the mysteries. Is Deckard now a replicant? Then, if he shows up, well, there. Ridley wants him to be a replicant, so yeah. you know he will be. Yeah. Mm. So now um, it'll be it'll now be canon unless it's, unless it's a um, a Han Solo type Force Awakens situation in which Harrison Ford gets his way. I'll be willing to bet that he's a replicant. I don't want him to be. But replicants but only have a right. certain shelf life. They can't get to Harrison's Ford's age. He's a special one. Oh. Like the shelf life is put into them on purpose. Okay. To make them hmm. not become... Just in case they gain sentience and all that sort of stuff. Uh, yeah, but yeah, the Forever War. Let's hope 
but actually gets off the ground at some point. So there you go. So I guess uh, our overall feelings of Ridley. What I find interesting with Ridley Scott, and it's you know, as you've gone through the films, there it's kind of revealed it is his his diversity as a director, mm-hmm. his ability to direct so many different styles of films, and and to direct films that that look different and have the look required for the kind of story that he's wanting to tell. You know, so like the, the look of, um, say, Kingdom of Heaven with its big sweeping epic-y type things is not going to work for something like American Gangster, which needs to sort of bring it back down. And, and so as a director, what I appreciate from him is his diversity, his ability to direct different stories in different styles to tell the right story, mm. you know. Um, and even, even you know, most of the time, even the films that I, I don't like and, and his failures for me as a director, even those, I can still usually see something in them. Um, at you least know, they're not Tony Scott productions. That well, that, well, that's right. You know, I, I can at least get something out of most of the films of his that I watch, whether it's interesting shots, interesting directorial styles, the way that he handles certain characters. You know, um, yeah. So I, I have a respect for him in that regard. Mm. Um, and even when he's working in the same genre, um, so say something like Blade Runner is directed very differently to the way that The Martian is. Yeah. They're both science fiction films, but the stories require different styles of directing. And so, yeah, so I appreciate that from Ridley. That pretty much sums up my thoughts as well. Mm. I mean, it's even at his worst, he's still better than Zack Snyder. Even at his worst, he's still better than his brother. <laughs> and Michael Bay. What is it with this Tony Scott bashing has been going what, on this episode? What's wrong with you people? I'm bashing Tony Scott because he hasn't made any good films. <laughs> I don't know, I like The Last Boy Scout. Yeah. Dear God, <laughs> it's it's awful. <laughs> but you know, you know, I'm a fan of bad films. Yes, <laughs> but, but, uh, I, you're I a Top Gun fan for some reason. No, I never Top Gun never grabbed me. I must admit. Yeah. I mean, I liked planes. I was a big fan of I like jets. Actually, I didn't but, mind Top Gun. I wouldn't put it up there in my collection worthy list. But yeah, I mean, it has its moments. It's but good it's, soundtrack. I don't know what it is about the last Boy Scout that, I, that, it, that it appeals to me. But for some reason, I love it. There was a submarine <laughs> film that he did with Denzel Washington. Yeah, Crimson Peak. Crim- Crimson Tide. Crimson Tide. That's yeah. right. Yeah, the Crimson classic Tide, that's okay. Cal- Cal- conversation. Yeah, that's okay. I didn't mind that. Yeah. Um, yeah. He, he because he's filming in a submarine. He kind of reins in his excesses uh, that he doesn't do when, say, Man on Fire, where the camera is constantly spinning around Denzel Washington for no Man reason. Man on Fire gives you a headache. Yep. <laughs> I don't know about you, but it gives me. I, mean, I don't get motion sickness. I play video games. Mm. Suffice seriously, it to I'm say, just like I, this is actually making me ill. Suffice it to say that we've done a retrospective on Ridley Scott. We're not going to be doing a retrospective on Tony Scott. We just did. We just, I don't know, I think we pretty much we said all the Tony Scott we need to say. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, but yeah, just so in summary with Ridley, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. even at his worst, he's still one of the best. Mm. That's pretty much it. Let's move on to our fan feedback question. I'm very excited yeah. for this, Ed. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Uh, our fan feedback question from uh, superfan Scott Buchanan. Thank you, Scott. You're an absolute legend. Thank you, Scott. Um, um, so, yeah, so uh, he's yesterday in, the, in a top five um, uh, sort of format, but actually, mine's actually not in a... We, saw, we discussed this before we started recording. Mine's not really a top five, per se. They're just sort of five things. Mm. Like, and I, th- I think everybody's roughly the same. So what we're going to do is we're still going to do the thing where we go around. So we'll do one each, sort of mm. move around to me. Mine's in sort of like a chronological type order. So, uh, so we'll go around. And uh, I'll also then do... I'll include Scott's one as we go around. Awesome. Cool. All right, because yeah. he's, he's in order, but it says one to five. I don't know where... Should I do five to one first? Yeah, do five to one. I'll do five to one. Yeah. All right, sweet. Cool. All right, uh, so since it's Scott's then we'll do Scott first. Yep. And then we'll come back to me. Yep. Scott and then back to me. Does that make okay. sense? Sold. Scott's number five is Marvel Comics. 
And my first standing collection at the Land Beyond Beyond when I was 13, and then in brackets, even though the guy behind the counter was a jerk. Oh, I know that feeling. <laughs> Your classic Minotaur story. Yep. Uh, the guy at Minotaur, when I was 12 years old, I handed him a comic and he said, why are you reading that shit for? <laughs> I'm giving you money, man. I'm giving you money. <laughs> he actually swore in front of a guy. Yeah. Hilarious. Yeah. What was the name of the comic that you were buying? Like, just to put it in perspective. Wild Dog. He has no cause to judge. People should be able to do okay. what they want. I'm care if you walked up with a Barbie comic. Yeah, first things first, I am giving his business money. Yeah. And secondly, I'm 12 years old <laughs> yeah. at the time. Yeah, what the hell? Now, anyway, granted, so I probably looked about 14, 15 maybe at the you time. Be kid. But still, you do not swear at your customers. I'm, I'm picturing comic book guy from The Simpsons. <laughs> it yeah. was a bit of that, yeah. yeah. I, I, I seriously, when guy. as soon as other comic stores opened in Melbourne... I stopped buying at Minotaur for like years and years and years because of that. So they lost thousands of dollars of my business because of that one guy when I was 12 years old. It's, uh, let's, let's point out, though, that uh, I don't know if you've been to Minotaur recently, but mm. I mean, it's, it's, he's no longer there, obviously. And, no, it's a, um, it, this it's was a great store now. Years ago. And, <laughs> yeah, well, I, yeah, I mean, I, um, I'm, actually, uh, I'm actually friends with... Uh, the manager, so he's, yeah. you know. Oh yeah, like I said, a completely different, completely store. different situation. That, now. that person hasn't worked there, and I mean, we're talking decades now. Yeah, like I'm 41 now. This happened when I was like 12 or That's 13. That's kind of weird so. when you actually say you can actually say this happened decades ago. Yeah, yeah. I don't like that. Yeah. Move on, Crystal. <laughs> um, this is a, it was a tough question. I've never really had to think about this before. It's like asking me why do I like spaghetti. I, I think it's an awesome question. So, um. Yeah. My my number five is because I just do. I've got some more involved um, points later on for my four, three, two, and one. Yeah. But it, it's just, it's like, why do I breathe? Mm. I just do. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. I just, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's it's, good. It's, right. it's, it's so yeah. easy. It's so... I, I understand that. It's so ingrained in who you are yeah. that you don't even... I'm not trying to be contrary. Yeah. 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 yeah, no, I understand that entirely. Definitely. Okay. All right. Um, I'm gonna actually change my order a little bit because I want to follow on from from Scott's one. Um, yeah, comics, and I gotta say, Marvel comics. Um, mm. mine's a little bit different. I started reading comics by buying them like black and white Australian reprints at this old Trash and Treasure in Bandura. Yeah. Um, but what I was buying first and foremost were like reprints of early Marvel, like Lee Lee Kirby Lee Ditko. Um, and the ones that always stand out for me is like. Fantastic Four, early Spider-Man, um, you know, the early Hulk issues, and they were just all science fiction. It was going off into space and being bitten by radioactive spiders and all of that. And and from there, my interest then grew into, um, you know, DC comics, but it was like Green Lantern because he was flying around in space and meeting aliens and things like that and, and New Gods with its big epic cosmic war stuff. So, yeah, so yeah, for, for me as well, it was like the comics that I loved when I first started reading comics were the ones that had that basis in science fiction. Did you have a colour room in? Yeah, all the time. God, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Even <laughs> the wrong colours half the time. <laughs> so you did some data comics. Well, Absolutely. Even the comics got them wrong sometimes. Uh, all, the, all the time with the Aussie reprints. <laughs> Weird colouring. Lightsabers, swords and Robin of Sherwood. Nice. Basically, the re- generally, you know, Star Wars, but let's face it, I was a big fan of... If you put a... If you had characters who wielded swords, um, you would... There would just be no point trying to talk to me. You would not get my attention until the sword fight was over. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. um, so you know, big fan of Ro- and you know Robin Hood. 
um, being an integral part of that, um, in particular Robin of Sherwood. Um, so when you know you see uh, and uh, Obi Wan Obi Wan Kenobi fighting Darth Vader on the Death Star with lightsabers, I immediately am hooked. Um, so and it, so Star Wars, look Star Wars in general, but let's face it, lightsabers. Uh, me, I was going to be Scott, but there's actually me. Yeah, so mine's actually in chronological order. Yeah. Um, my very earliest memory, uh, Star Trek, uh, my very earliest sci-fi related uh, memory is when my mum introduced us to classic Doctor Who and classic Star Trek. Mm. Um, so watching those as a family group, Justin wasn't really all that excited, as in my brother wasn't all that, mm. you know, he was, I mean, you know, he watched them, but yeah, they, they just blew my mind. Classic Trek, mm. classic Doctor Who. Yeah. Crappy special effects at all. <laughs> yeah, really. You get all past that because the stories are so good. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's my one. That's my early, very, very earliest sci-fi related memory. Nice. Uh, so back to Scott. His number four is being introduced to and loving D&D when I was 13. Nice. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I... Uh, you, yeah, yeah. I, I was I was fourteen when I did my first role playing game. Yeah, and yeah, that that experience is just awesome. Yeah, I got to agree with him there. Cool. I like you, Scott. Crystal, <laughs> <laughs> um, number four. I've just written escapism, but basically what that means is it's um, like my, one of my earliest memories of primary school is being interested in being taught about the solar system and space and things. Yeah. Um, so uh, it's, it's stories that involved space in some way. And, and I liked stories that um, seemed real, like but they're realistic, but sort of set in the future. So again, I liked sort of Star Trek and uh, Doctor Who to a lesser extent because I didn't really see much of it until I was a bit older. But um, any sort of story that involved space travel or future... It's, yeah. just, it's just something you, you could escape into and uh, imagine what it would be like henceforth. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because, I mean, I, I liked uh, superhero stuff. I, I really liked the, the Superman movie that came out in the late 70s. But it's, it's, it's different to, and I'm trying not to sound elitist here, but it's different to um, what I would maybe term, not hardcore science fiction, but more realistic science fiction. Yeah. I, could, I could believe um, Captain Kirk would fly around on a spaceship more than I could believe an alien from Krypton would suddenly get superpowers from our sun because I didn't quite okay. understand so how you that didn't, worked. So you didn't believe a man could fly? Oh, I was, willing, I was willing to suspend belief because it was, <laughs> nice. a, it was a very nice movie. Yeah. Okay. Like All right. Yeah, yeah. yeah with it. Awesome. Yeah. Um, my number four actually kind of segues a little bit from what you were saying at the start there, where you were talking about, um, you know, learning about the solar system and about uh, astronomy and things like that. As um, My number four is a documentary series called Cosmos cool. by Carl Sagan. Um, I saw this this as a kid. <laughs> and performed by uh, Hugo Weaving in The Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> but no one knew the charm or yeah. sense of... Fun, a, a grandeur about the universe. It's all very grim. Yeah, yes. you will die now, Mister Anderson. <laughs> Cosmos, Cosmos came out when I was when I was a kid, and I, rem- I remember watching it and just getting so awestruck by how awesome everything was. Like, like Carl Sagan had this incredible ability to go. This is science. Here's a nice, easy way for you to understand what I'm talking about. 
and damn, isn't it awesome? And you couldn't help but go, you know what? Yeah, you're right. Mm. This is awesome. Yeah. And um, and and so Cosmos introduced me to just how amazing the universe was, mm. and how cool space was, and how awesome scientists were, and how, and the history of science, and 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 so many cool things that then made me go, well, what's next? You know, where do we go from here? And, um, and it's kind of hard to explain to people maybe in the, uh, the pre-Challenger disaster period. Mm. But there was a period there where space travel was exciting and we were going to be on the moon in, in 10 years and we we're going to be on Mars in 20 years. And, you know, I remember watching the first space shuttle launch and getting excited because the space shuttle was like, we we're all going to be able to travel in space shuttles and fly around. The and first space shuttle launch was magnificent. Yeah. Mm. I remember sitting up to it watch was our it. lunar landing version. Exactly right. As close as we got. Yeah, exactly right. Um, and I remember from, from watching Cosmos, I went on to shows like... Um, uh, a show there was an Australian show called Towards Two Thousand, yeah, mm. which was just new new innovations in science that were coming along. So I started watching that, and which it became Beyond Two Thousand, which eventually became Beyond Two Thousand when it changed channels. And um, but yeah, but Carl Sagan made me excited mm. for all of this sort of stuff. Cool, yeah, Quantum, yeah, Channel Two, uh, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so after after Cosmos, I just started devouring all of the the books I could find and mm. all of the. Um, um, TV shows and, and docos and things that I could see about space. Mm. And, and it helped me then go, well, cool. Like, like Crystal, like what you were saying about, um, you know, then, then finding stories about people traveling into space and, you know, all the things that Carl Sagan was talking about. Mm. Um, just awesome. Yeah. And just quickly, um, as I saw, I saw quite Cosmos quite recently, um, about two or three years ago. Um, and the I new wish, version? No, the old version. Oh, okay. As, I've seen yeah. both and I think they're both extraordinary and it's one of those things where I'd sat there going I wish I'd seen this as a kid right because I'm having so and Richard will confirm this my reaction to it was oh my god this is unbelievable yeah I actually don't remember much of Cosmos and Carl Sagan kind of I mean I've recognized his genius in later years but Carl Sagan as for some reason as a child put me off okay I don't know what it was about him teacher-esqueness about him I don't know know, but I was kind of put off there's some, uh, for, for me, it was the opposite with Cosmos. There's so much of it that I, I remembered. And I, I remember catching bits and pieces when Luke was watching and going, I actually, yeah, I do remember mm. that. And it still has, I mean, the, the cosmic the calendar. calendar is the one that always stood out for me as a kid. Mm. It's like, yeah, we know all this stuff, but we're only at the very, very end of this. Mm. There's so much more that we need to know. And like I said, it was just, damn, that's exciting. There's so much more that we can find out, you know. Luke? I'm going to go with one more specific before I go into some more general stuff, but uh, Doctor Who. Cool. Um, Doctor Who is arguably responsible for my phobia. Um, <laughs> yes, it is. Do you have a phobia? Yes, I do. What is it? Um, Bad it, special effects? Rats. No, rat, oh, rats. R- rodents, let's say, rodents. say that, because it is mice as well. Mm. Um, and I, don't, I can't remember the timeline of this. I can't remember precisely if it's directly responsible for it, but certainly the talons of Wang Chiang has a lot to answer for. <laughs> Wow, we've um, learned something. I never knew this. So yeah, uh, but just in turn, but Doctor Who was one of those ones that you know for me it was always you know it wasn't it has been a lot along uh, on for the um, the entire for the length of my lifespan. Um, you know, I watched it when I was say two or three years old. Hmm. Um, you know, getting show bags at um, at the Daniloquin. Um, uh, you watched the Talons of Winter when you were th- with no, three years old. No, I watched that when I was five. Five years old. Five years old. Yeah. It was a kid's show. 
No. <laughs> <laughs> now I've got some but my surprise. Parents, but and they'll touch on this later. My parents yeah. were fans of the show as well. Yeah. So who are awesome? <laughs> well, I'll get to that later. Any chance to tell your parents say that your parents are awesome? <laughs> I'm happy to do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Uh, my one. My next one in uh, in order was Twilight Zone. So watching the Twilight Zone mm. on I'm TV. Glad you put Zone on the end of that. <laughs> <laughs> it was okay. Uh, I, I, I went forward in time and read Twilight, and I was like, "If this is the future of, of uh, science fiction, then uh, I might as well kill myself now." No, no, it was, it, it, yeah, it was Twilight Zone. Um, it's basically just TV in general. Twilight Zone, in search mm-hmm. of the Marvel cartoons. There was a so good can I, yeah, the Incredible TV Hulk, Wonder Woman. Up. Can I can I jump in here because this was one of mine as well. And I've actually written just a quick list off the top of my head right now of all the shows that would have been on when we were a kid. Yeah. I just want to run through some of them here. Doctor Who, Battlestar Galactica, Buck Rogers, Astro Boy, Star Blazers, Twilight Zone, Blake Seven, The Avengers, UFO, Lost in Space, Land of the Giants, Original Star Trek, Time Tunnel, Thunderbirds, Batman, Spider-Man, The Incredible Hulk, Transformers, He-Man. Thank you, just off the top of my head. Well, no, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. That is just off yeah. the top of my head. There was so much science fiction the TV sliders. on when we were kids mm. yeah. between what was actually airing at the time, like Battlestar Galactica and Buck Rogers mm. and stuff like that, and repeats of old stuff. There was just so much yeah. sci-fi TV. Um, so, so, yeah, so I just so, wanted so to jump in. Yeah, one is, of mine. Is, uh, is, yeah, it's just TV in general. Yeah. Of course, spearheaded by Twilight Zone. Yeah. Yeah. It was genius. So, Scott's third one is my mum getting me to read the Narnia books in fourth grade. Cool. So, that's pretty cool. Yep. Narnia is awesome. That's a shame. The films didn't quite live up to the to the books themselves, but, mm. uh, yeah, the books are awesome. At no, number three, I'd written um, the best science fiction stories focus on characters, and, and mm. you see that a lot in, in things I've watched and read growing up. The... Um, character focus is important because you need to be able to relate to the people who are in the stories. Hmm. That's it? Yeah, that's it. Okay, cool. That's what I've read. <laughs> that's good. All right, so Richard, so you, you already done your TV one, you're saying? Yeah, no, no, it's all right. My number three is different. Oh, cool. Yeah. Which actually also segues nicely into what you were saying and actually what Scott was talking about, about reading Narnia. What's going on here? You, um, you do like a... I don't know. It's just, it's just one thing. No. Um, <laughs> Uh, two authors in particular, H.G. Um, Wells and Jules Verne. Awesome. Um, when my parents found out that, you know, could see that I was loving, you know, the sci-fi stuff that I was watching and things like that. And I remember as a young kid, they let me stay up and watch The Time Machine. And they took us to see, uh, there was a re-release of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, the classic one with Kirk Douglas, which we went to see at the cinema. Um, anyway, my parents bought me, like, collected book versions of H.G. Wells and Jules Verne. Awesome. And I just, I absolutely devoured those books. Mm. Um, you know, there was this awesome, you know, like cool science fiction-y thing, plus the whole, you know, retro turn-of-the-century stuff. But as Crystal was saying, you know, there's still character stories as well. You're still following the, the lead character in these in these mm. books as they go through their, the turmoil of what's going on in their lives. And, um, yeah, so H.G. Wells and Jules Verne just introduced me to, you know, the awe and wonder of, of science fiction uh, novels. Um, and I guess the excitement of applying, you know, what for them at the time was real-world science mm. to their stories as well. I guess that's what I'd never really gotten into Jules Verne because it's it's the, his science is kind of out of date now. Whereas yeah. um, Wells, especially with the Time Machine, um, 
it's just it was like the beginning of time travel stories. I mean, I'm a sucker yeah. for time travel stories, and yeah, I just, and yeah, could get yeah. sucked into that one quite easily. Yeah, Ver- Ver- Vern was more, I think, of the adventure writer. Yeah, and I think, you know, I like think going into hidden worlds Kirk under Douglas the earth. Kind and... of put me off because he's scary. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's a scary man. <laughs> I see. I love Kirk Douglas. So I'm sort of following a bit from what both Crystal and Richard have said, um, just in sort of general terms, in that the idea that science fiction or uh, introduces us to the wonders of the galaxy, the universe, our own world, and shows our perspective in it. But further from that, also allowing us, the reader, and us, the outsider, and us, the nerd and the geek, to shape world events and the events of history, and that people, people like James Bond and Captain Kirk, who would go out and be heroes, weren't all weren't always um, the heroes in these stories. You know, yeah. Spock being the character that um, is actually most popular in. Um, Star Trek, the Doctor not being a James Bond person at all. Mm. Um, you know, the idea that the thinking person was actually going to see the day through, which is what we all were. We weren't the fighters per se. We were the people who thought about things. We were the people who who planned things. We were the people who imagined things. And they were, in many cases, the heroes of science fiction novels mm. and stories and comics and films. And I think that is also partly why the not just identification but the possibility that I could be like these people yeah. very cool hmm. um, uh, my number three is it's 1982 and uh, young David I'm not going to give my age but it was decades ago yeah. uh, <laughs> young David is uh, is with his mum at um, I can't remember the name of the cinema because it doesn't exist anymore but I, we're off to see Star Trek 2 The Wrath of Khan and it's opening it tasks me and uh, I remember the cinema it, it, the cinema has been now since been pulled down, but I remember vividly that the roof was actually carpeted for some reason, and it was this unbelievably bright blue. Do you remember where it was? It was like in the city somewhere. So in the city somewhere. Right. And it was, so the, so the, the roof is is a carpeted blue. So it basically looked like the ocean. So basically, and the the ground carpet was this horrible brownie shit. So you're basically standing on the ground looking at. And it's, I guess it was meant to be the sky, but it was, I, I guess, to me, it felt like uh, the ocean. So mm. I was like, I was, it was, just, it was I don't know, it was, I was fascinated. I was more fascinated about that than I was about everything else. I do also also really remember that there was a poster for um, Yellowbeard, uh, <laughs> and, which I was like, I was like, cool pirates, um, which I have now since seen, and yeah, it's not that cool. But, um, but yes, but then, of course, then seeing the film itself, Star Trek II, which is uh, my favourite Star Trek film, and, and um, it's just, it just blew me away. Because <laughs> like, at this point, I'd be seeing the, like, the classic Trek you know, on, with, with Mum, and, and, and so, I, cause I, so I, could, I could relate. I knew what was going on. I knew all the characters, and I knew why Khan was so upset. And, and so and I, just, and I, just, and I, just, I was sort of blown away by all the emotions and... Mm. And because it's brain food. Cool. Okay, so Scott's next one, uh, he's number two, is reading Crystal Set and Mushroom Planet books when I was little. Which is awesome. I actually haven't, I haven't read any of them, but uh, now, uh, I actually didn't know anything about these books, but now that I do know um, that they're, they're books from uh, the 50s, uh, written by Eleanor Cameron, um, or at least Mushroom Planet is, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check them out. I think that's pretty sweet. I think, I think we've all probably got that, that, you know, young reader book series yeah. that we picked up on, like um, the the tripod stuff, or mm. um, you know, th- those series that you pick up on as a kid and just think, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Special. Number two, 
sort of follows on a little bit from what Luke was saying. Um, imagination. The scope for imagination in science fiction stories is massive. If you set your story on Earth in present day, um, you, you, you're limited to what you've got your rules of Earth. Um, you can't sort of deviate from real life. Mm-hmm. But if you set your story in a science fiction world, you can do anything you want. Mm-hmm. You can you can be a Superman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can be a Captain Kirk. Mm-hmm. You can be a Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. No, that's that. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that's the beauty of it. I've had several ideas based on history where I've gone, yeah, that's cool. But being the fa- and, you know being really interested in the stories and going, well, it, it retelling this would be interesting. But I wanted to put my own ideas into it, and being a person who doesn't like to. Um, change history for the sake of a story has gone well okay mm-hmm. now it's on another planet mm-hmm. now I can do what mm-hmm. I want yeah um, that's not to say I don't read contemporary stuff set in contemporary mm-hmm. you know, just well we should say normal fiction <laughs> <laughs> mainstream <laughs> mainstream normal fiction I mean I read I read widely all sorts of different stuff you um, do. but um, science fiction is always going to be my favourite mm. awesome Richard? Um, uh, my number two was actually sci-fi TV. Ah, and cool. like I said, I rolled off all those shows. But yeah. two, two in particular always stood out for me. One was Doctor Who um, and the other one was Twilight Zone. Um, Doctor Who taught me um, very much the character stuff and what it's like to take um, a human mm-hmm. and place them into the fantastic and, and how they react to that. And, um, and actually kind of following on from what Crystal was saying... Twilight Zone taught me the limits um, of um, imagination, like just where you can go, because every story was different and a different take on on the genre. The Twilight Zone taught me that there is literally no limit to your imagination when you were working in science fiction. The outer limits. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Nice, I like it. There is nothing wrong with your television set. Luke, Um, okay, I've got to be very careful about how I say this one, because I don't want it to be misconstrued... um, in a negative way, but um, it's also because I'm a guy. Um, Science fiction, and this is not to say that um, science fiction has always been skewed more towards uh, males, um, which is not to say that it doesn't have, and thankfully has, um, a huge female fan base. Um, But particularly when I was growing up, um, uh, you know, things like Transformers, Silverhawks, Captain Power, He-Man to a certain extent because it had, you know, spaceships and lasers here and there, you know, Star Wars, Star Trek, um, all all had, you know, male-centric points of view. Mm-hmm. Um, and girls had, th- girls had more of the fantasy uh, um, side of things. You know, My Little Pony. My Little Pony, Strawberry Shortcake, Rainbow Bright. Um, Shira. Again, comes a bit There later. are variations. There are variations. <laughs> to this I'm idea. not saying... I'm not saying it is specifically, but most of the time, uh, science fiction generally gets geared towards boys because of th- mm. because of perceived cliches and stereotyping regarding engineering um, and uh, con- the, in the the way that you know conflicts are resolved and boys things is always about action and fighting. Whereas in um, what is more geared towards girls, it's about uh, re- re- uh, emotional resolutions hmm. um, and working things out. Um, and so a lot of part of the uh, you can't part of the reason why I'm a science fiction fan um, is because um, that's what um, was thrown my way when I was a boy. 
hmm. um, things like Transformers. Don't get me wrong, my sister grew up watching, and I grew up watching her stuff too. I'm actually quite a big fan of Gem and the Holograms. Um, but, you know, watch Strawberry Shortcake, watch Robo Bright, she watched Transformers, she watched, you know, unfortunately watched Care Bears. Um, she watched Transformers, <laughs> she watched the X-Men and quite liked um, the X-Men, um, got brought up on Batman like myself. So, you know, it's not, I'm not saying it's a clear-cut thing, but a lot of the things that were geared, toward, geared towards me were science fiction hmm. type stuff, because that's what was in the zeitgeist then. Hmm. Um, and it was geared, it did have a more um, male, masculine bent, which is not to say that there weren't, um, there wasn't a huge female audience for that stuff as well. There was, hmm. um, but you know, part of the reason why I am is because that's well, it was yeah. what, what was you, you're like. basically just stating a fact there. I mean, the, the, the mm. shows like Transformers mm. were clearly geared towards boys. I yeah. mean, trucks turning into robots, mm. and, and, and then mm. therefore you move on to the toys, mm. which trucks are for boys, dolls are for girls. Yeah, mm. um, do, dolls are only for boys if they're GI Joes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're action figures, mm. not dolls, when they become for boys. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> And even still to this day, you know, there isn't a lot it's of... still the same. There isn't a lot yeah. of uh, science fiction franchises, elements that are geared towards um, certainly young women. Um, Captain although, America riding Black Widow's these, bike. <laughs> yeah, these days, mm. these days, you know, um, you know, teenage, teenage girls have things like Katniss Everdeen and the Allegiant series. So if you get older, it's there. But for, you know, kids, um, it's still sort of the bright, cuddly... Um, I don't know. Well, where would you put Adventure Time? Is that a boys' show or a girls' show? That's a boys' show. Yeah. So you can just easily watch that as a little girl. Mm. And like I said, like there's a lot, you know, I watched a lot of the stuff that my sister watched. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I did, I did actually enjoy some of the stuff that, like I said, I'm a big fan of Gem and the Holograms. Um, <laughs> she watched the stuff, so it's, it's not, it's not, you know, set in stone. But you know, like I said, it's you know, where the things that are geared towards yeah. certain genders get yeah. thrown your way. You make yeah. a very valid point. Mm. And um, that's, and I'm not knocking. I'm not knocking anything when I say that, but it's just, no, you know, that's... It's just the way it was. It's just the way it was. Yeah, yeah. This is actually... You're actually bringing up something... Um, Bo brought up something in the in the last episode that he was on, which uh, we had a little good discussion about, is um, one of the things that he's very excited about is is Ray and mm. the, the influence that Ray is having on little girls. Mm. Like, a, mm. a, the chance for... I mean, I mean, and, and even, I mean, even though... I mean, the film's not marketed strictly for kids of that age group, you mm. know, Transformers, mm. that sort of stuff... But it's a bit. It's it's a chance for uh, the little girls who don't really have a lot of that on TV. Mm. You know, like I mean, because even now, that's what kids' television is. I mean, it's it's trying to be better. Mm. It's definitely better in terms of that sort of stuff now than it was before in the eighties. But it, but now they have like a very definitive focus. Yeah, and uh, but Star Wars. Take Star Wars. Star Wars Rebels still has uh, a little boy. As its main character, yeah, um, and his fa- the other main character is his father figure, Kanan, who is also male. There are female characters in this, like Sabine, and thankfully Ahsoka's come into it. So yeah, I was just going to say, their Clone Wars is different though, because yeah. Clone Wars has Ahsoka as one of its main mm. characters. Mm. So, um, yeah. but you know, they still it still hasn't geared towards girls, I guess. Mm. I just want to. Okay, that, that was just, it, part of the reason why I'm a fan is because yeah. of gender. Yeah, yeah. yeah. no, it's a fascinating subject. I, yeah, I, I'm totally with it, and. Yeah. One of the things Bo said was this is nice seeing little girls go to cons dressed up as Rey, not necessarily as a, a Disney princess. Mm. Yeah. 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 But you still get girls, you know, little I see little girl in where I work, little girls dressing up wearing, you know, frozen bathers. Yeah. Mm. Um, 
No, yeah. girls, girls still want to be girly. And that's, no and that's fine. That's no, 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 that's not, I'm not knocking it's, that. It's nice that there's a wider choice for girls as to yeah. who they want to play in these sort of things. Yeah, yeah, no, it's yeah. a fascinating yeah. subject. And I, I would love to talk about it more. It's, mm. Yeah, so. yeah. Uh, moving on to my uh, third, uh, second one. Yeah, second. Yeah, second. One. Uh, it's 1983. Cast your mind back. 1983, and I am seeing Star Wars: Return of the Jedi at the cinemas. Now, I do believe I've seen Empire at the cinemas. Yeah. But I don't remember it, so therefore I didn't think it was bad. I have the remastered version, though. Um, well, of course I have saw those. Now, I, I never see. I, I know for a fact we never saw Star Wars at the cinema. Uh, well, at least I know for a fact, as in that's what Mum said. Um, but I, she she has some sort of vague memory of us seeing Empire at the cinema. But I don't remember it, so therefore it doesn't count. But I do vividly remember seeing Return of the Jedi at the cinema. Um, and, uh, yeah. Yum-cha. Wow. It tastes really good. We eat yum chunk. Yeah, those crazy Ewoks. Not my, not my favorite Star Wars film, but uh, but uh, it was just Star Wars. I mean, I guess I guess in a nutshell, I'm basically saying Star Wars. <laughs> Star Wars is my number two. <laughs> Scott's number one. Let's move on to our number one. Scott number one is uh, segueing directly on from that. Is seeing Star Wars uh, when I was six years old at the cinema twice. And Dad and I pretending we were in an X-wing dri- while we were driving home, shooting at Tie Fighters. That's cool. That's awesome. That 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 you know, it's nice to say, oh, you know, because of Star Wars, because of Doctor. It's but talking about the reactions to it, and you mm. know, suddenly getting back to the imagination that we were talking mm. about, actually encompassing not just the car, but you know, space around you as well, and turning mm. this thing that you're meant to be driving in into a fun trip home where you're going to be. That's and hey, I hey, quite hey. like I quite like hearing that sort of stuff. That's awesome. Mm. The family connection. Mm. Yeah. You, know, you, you, yeah. you and your dad embracing yeah. what you just experienced mm. together. It's brilliant. Awesome. Thank you, Scott. Crystal. And that just segues beautifully into my number one. It's like, oh. you, we obviously all had a meeting before the show. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, didn't, we didn't play this, folks. <laughs> um, well, in my family, we didn't go to the cinema much. In fact, the first cinema release I can remember seeing is with the school. We went down to the local back in those days you had local suburban cinemas mm-hmm. and we saw Raw which not a good first film <laughs> it was so boring the film about the lions yeah <laughs> so, so boring I guess, was, I, I, guess they, boring. I guess they thought it was educational right okay um, cool anyway but, it's actually quite but, violent how old were you I don't know primary school because lions go on a bit of a rampage yeah I don't think I paid much attention because I really don't remember it you should read about the making of that film. It's hilarious. But um, so it, back <laughs> in in my family life, it's just my my, my dad like watching Star Trek and, and and similar shows, Buck Rogers and all of those shows. And my my uncle, who was quite young, so he's more like an older brother, he's into all that stuff. And so um, in our household, we watched all those shows that Richard mentioned earlier. We watched mm-hmm. Star Trek and you know. Buck Rogers and V and and anything science fiction that came on telly, even sliders. We watched sliders. <laughs> I like how you said even sliders. <laughs> I quite enjoyed that until <laughs> until, until his brother popped into the show and spoiled everything. Yeah. Um, but it's just that, that's just kind of the and it goes back to my first thing because I just do. That's just just kind of the world I lived in. That was just normal mm. for us. It's normal fare for us. And I think we grew up in a good. TV watching era. If we, if I'd been growing up now as a kid, I'd we've got what my kitchen rules and MasterChef and, 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 <laughs> yeah. and the block and there's just this this 
it's it's a t- it's, it's a TV wasteland yeah. <laughs> out there. Well, Free to air TV wasteland. Free to air mm. TV wasteland. Yes, yeah. I mean, for those people who can't afford to get uh, Foxtel or, or subscribe to Netflix or something, there's, there's nothing. There's just nothing. It's out. a pretty poor show. <laughs> it's, it's pretty poor. So um, yeah, it, it's just um, basically it comes down to your own personal likes and dislikes on what you're predisposed to as a person. But I think it also comes down to the influence of people, what people around you, close to you, liked as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Good job. Um, yeah, my number one is Star Wars. It's my second oldest memory is seeing Star Wars at the age of three. We were talking family stories. I was terrified of Darth Vader, like scared shitless of Darth Vader. <laughs> but I do remember after we saw it, my dad bought me like the little Darth Vader action figure to With show the me that come out of his yeah, arm. to no, show me that Darth Vader actually wasn't that scary because he yeah. was, you know. Um, and I remember going to see it again at the drive-in. Uh, for those people that actually remember drive-ins. <laughs> and I remember my brother, we, we used to have like a... Um, station wagon? Station wagon car. And my brother and I sitting in the back of the station wagon on the way home, pretending that we were being attacked by TIE fighters and shooting them and everything. And I, I remember my brother and I, um, we used to have like a, a, a furniture-making place nearby and you could go and get the offcuts and i remember us getting the little uh offcuts of rounded bits and using them as pretending they were they were guns and getting sticks and having lightsaber fights and all of that sort of stuff but but here's the thing first and foremost star wars taught me so much it taught me right from wrong you know Luke was clearly the good guy and you did things to help people because it was the right thing to do and you didn't oppress people and do terrible things like Darth Vader did and it it, it gave me an idea, a greater understanding that there was something bigger in the universe you know that there might be something out there like the force you know and because I mean I I wasn't raised in any way in a religious family so you know so there are so many lessons and 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 things you know Star Wars taught me morality it it gave me a p- greater picture of you know in the same way that Cosmos taught me about how grand our universe was Star Wars taught me about the potential of what what our universe could be mm. you know there were so many lessons you know Han Solo taught me what about how to be cool <laughs> you know how to be cool but also how to be a good person you know, and how to make the right decisions at the right time. So there, there were so many what lessons. What Chewie teaching? Chewie taught me that dogs are awesome. Well, out that you know, for the most part, you know, he's clean shaven and has a bald head. So maybe you know, hair was not. It also taught me things like you know, respect for your elders. You know, Luke. You know, things go well for Luke. When he's actually listening to what Obi Wan is telling him, but when he tries to do his own thing, it doesn't. You know, so even though Obi Wan's telling him lies, yeah, true. lies, true. But he's also te- teaching him the right lessons about life. You know, like it's it's, it's impossible to um, like to understate just how much of an influence Star Wars had on me as a child, and how much my love of science fiction because Star Wars started this mm. um, this new fascination with science fiction that led to all of those TV shows that I watched and you know led to me becoming interested in comics and interested in guys like H.G. Wells and, and Jules Verne like it all starts at Star Wars it's funny I was never afraid of Darth Vader as much as I was afraid of Alien. (laughs) Well, Darth Vader never exploded out of anybody's chest for starters. Alien, alien to my young mind, was more realistic. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. It could actually possibly happen. Where in a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, already Mm. already removes you from the story. Yeah. Um, But my earliest memory of Star Wars is 
uh, we were sitting my uncle's room. We were all listening to it on the record, following along with the book. Oh, yeah. nice. Yeah. 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 And so, because we I hadn't, I hadn't seen the movies at that point. We, mm. I only heard, I've only knew the stories through the records. Yeah, awesome. I see. We were the opposite to your family, Mike. My family, we were always at the cinema. Like I, I, I you like talking to each other. So many movies that we went to see as kids, and so many movies you just they, they just wouldn't take kids to see these days. Like, you well, know, yeah, I mean, back then, the back then you just went to see stuff. You know, it didn't really matter. No, you know, we were more home people. We watched yeah. stuff at home, but yeah, yeah, I still we were we never allowed not to watch something. Yeah, I mean that, that, that came out wrong. We were never not allowed to watch something. Right, Porter. <laughs> as if you watched porno as a kid. There's a lie. As, as, as if anybody other than Sleazy D watches porno when they're a kid. Well, I, I actually was stopped from watching certain things as a kid. So yeah, that's, that a, might that's only because that's only because yeah. uh, certain life events, which we won't delve into. Yes. Look. Um, okay. So my top one is sort of following on from a lot of what people have been talking about. Anyway, I'm going to try and put a bit push it a bit further if I can. It is the idea of uh, first of all. Family um, and family actually being integral to some of this as well. My um, my mother was a big science fiction fan. My father wasn't a big science fiction fan, but he was a big Doctor Who fan and a big Star Wars fan. Hmm. Um, and so with those combinations, that's you know Doctor Who and that's, the, that's like, pretty much the Doctor recipe. And, Doctor and lightsabers being you know yeah. the things that are the reasons why I'm a science fiction fan. But my stepfather was you know. A science fiction god, as far as I was concerned, when I was a kid, the first thing I remember him asking me the first time he we first time I met him was he was working on a science fiction kids show called The Girl from Tomorrow, and he wanted and he asked myself and my sister um, what sort of weapons um, do you think would be cool? It can't be things like a baseball bat or a cricket bat, um, you know, but you know need a cool set. So what's a cool sounding weapon? And I went lightsaber, mm. um, and so you know. You know, he and I have have had a, a, an extremely strong relationship for twenty five years almost. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, him being a big science fiction fan as well also meant that you know books were being brought into the house. There were other films that we were watching. You know, more TV shows um, got watched as well. Um, Can I just quite quickly interrupt. So, did he put lightsabers into the girl from tomorrow? No, no, I remember any. No, okay, cool. no, he put transducers, but that's another story. Um, <laughs> awesome. But that gets. But even even beyond the family, the thing because, like Crystal said, you know, it's it's it, it's sort of a bit of a hard on this one because science fiction has always been there. Yeah. For me, so it's not a question of did I choose science fiction? Did science fiction choose me? Yeah. To mm. a certain degree, um, did it? You know, in in the Great Nether, did it go right? This is, we are a small genre, and we choose you. Interesting. Growing up, growing up in era, I think it would have been hard not to be a sci-fi fan. Like, you would have to go out of your way. It would have to be sci-fi or sports. Well, I mean, yeah. Remembering, you know, for our generation, yeah. Star Wars came along and then everything was science fiction. Yeah. It was exactly. that simple. That's it was like... It's, it's, you didn't yeah. really have much of a choice. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's, that, that's what I mean. So, yeah. did, you know, mm. I didn't choose science fiction. Science fiction seems to have chosen me. Yeah. Mm. Um, it, entered, it entered the zeitgeist mm. at the right time mm. to appeal to all of us. And, you know, it's... My consciousness actually... It, 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 it's my natural reaction to mm. things, you know, to immediately transplant, you know, real day events with space or time travel or other planets or other cultures or alien cultures. 
um, and things like that. that's that's natural to me, which is not natural to necessarily to those around me sometimes. Yeah. yeah, there's only one show I can think of in our family that that, that was a staple in our family that wasn't science fiction, and that's Mash. Yeah, uh, mm. everything else was science fiction. I mean, we watched other shows, but I can't think of anything that you know we had to must watch from one week to the next that yeah. wasn't mm. somewhere based in that genre. Yeah. Yeah, our household it was Grizzly Adams. Oh, yeah, we watched. Uh, I remember Grizzly Adams. Non- the only non-science fiction shark I remember. He died uh, recently too. Yeah, mm. that uh, that mum refused to miss. That so. was kind of an after-school show, though. It wasn't it was, really yeah. a prime time. Yeah. Anyway, well, my one uh, finishing up on me um, after all that awesomeness um, it just takes us all the way back to the start, uh, and it is when I. Uh, it's 1987. Yeah. <laughs> Flying back into the past. That's me flying back to the past. Uh, and I'm buying my first comic, my first ever comic, and it's Amazing Spider-Man 289. Yeah. So that's, uh, which nice. started my lifelong obsession with and love of Spider-Man and uh, comics the, in general. Is that the Hobgoblin? It's the revelation as oh, Ned Leeds as the Hobgoblin. This Hobgoblin, is the Hobgoblin yeah. Which, of course, then got retroactively changed. I remember but, that. But, uh, yeah, it's, it starts off with Ned Leeds... In the whole goblin costume with it, but the mask removed. Yeah, about to get killed. And uh, yeah, big That's deal. Cool. Big deal. So yeah, that was that was a fascinating, a fascinating discussion. Uh, thank you very much, Scott, for bringing that to our attention. Yeah, well done, Scott. And thanks for providing your own list as well. That was fantastic. Yeah, yeah awesome list. And I do. I, I do actually. I, I do now see that it, that yours was actually also in chronological order. <laughs> and, uh, I apologize. I apologize. I went. Uh, up instead of down, but uh, hopefully that's not too bad. But uh, it, it still somehow seemed to work with the rest of it. That's right. It all segued nicely. It all still <laughs> works. Fantastic. Yeah, we're a big fan of the segue on this show. Yeah. Uh, so let's finish up uh, what I think has been an awesome episode. We've got coming soon. Uh, in Australian cinemas, April twenty eighth, we get a month of Sundays. It's a, a comedy year. drama about an unlikely friendship between a middle-aged real estate agent and an elderly woman. A whole month of Sundays. A whole month of Sundays. It, it stars... It stars Anthony LaPaglia and yeah, John Anthony Clark. Anthony LaPaglia and John... Yeah. Oh, okay, it's local. It's like local. Anthony, Anthony and, well, it's, a, it's an elderly woman. Who's the elderly woman? Uh, I can't remember the name off the top of my head. Julia Blake? Yeah, that's her. So it's an Australian film. It's yes. an Australian film. I've seen the trailers for it. Australia's I, own, a month of Sundays. I am not particularly interested. The only reason why I'd see it is because of John Clark... Who kind of looks like he's in a different film. <laughs> uh, we also get Japanese film Anne. Uh, Anne, yeah. Anne. Well, I was about, if you let me finish, I was about to say we also get Japanese film Anne film called Anne. No. <laughs> that doesn't matter. That was a no, pathetic, no, pathetic no, attempt. <laughs> even your attempt to recover was weak. <laughs> it was so weak. It was, that was a Tony Scott attempt. Oh, believe poor Tony Scott alone. Um, which, is, which is being described as a foodie drama. I don't know what that means. I guess it's about food. It's a drama. A foodie drama. A foodie drama. We also get uh, the the remake that had to happen, Dad's Army. Um, I saw while you were. What the hell? I don't it know why. Moving on. Because they have to remake such everything. Uh, we also get um, now this this is this intrigues me. We get um, Patrick Stewart cast as a ruthless neo-Nazi in the film Green Room. So Patrick Stewart is a bad guy, and from all accounts. A really bad guy. I can't so, watch Patrick Stewart. I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. Green Room. Uh, we also get Mother's Day. All-star comedy set in the week leading up to Mother's Day. It's one of those. Well, one of those that films. sounds like a film I'm never going to yeah. watch. A whole bunch of people 
An ensemble. In an, yeah, an ensemble. <laughs> Made by the people who think all mothers enjoy pink fluffy oh, slippers. No. Anyway, yeah. who gives a shit? I don't think anybody and, cares. And listen to Michael Crawford. Uh, we <laughs> also get a uh, Christian propaganda film, God's Not Dead 2. What? Um, God's Not what? Dead 2? So what happened to God's Not Dead 1? Oh, well, yeah, it's been gone. It was... Um, Someone, Cam- Cameron, what's his Kirk name? Kirk Cameron. Kirk Cameron, yeah. So right. that was the, God's not dead too. I'm pretty sure Kirk Cameron. Please um, tell me God's not dead too is like, God's back and he's not happy. No, so, what, so it's a religious, a religious, it's not like the Egyptian gods or something. The gods no, 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 this no, is no. God, it's, God. It's, it's Christian propaganda, like I said. Yeah. It's, it's essentially saying that, you know, God, ain't God, dead. God hasn't left us and is still here and can still influence us yeah. and all that sort of stuff. Um, so what you're saying anyway, is so God's is, uh, not dead is, too is saying God's not dead. That's that's essentially what I'm saying. Right, okay. In a nutshell, if you want to be concise, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Um, so it's Melissa, Melissa Joan Hart uh, is the lead actress in that. When you well, first read like out Sabrina the title, I'm thinking... Yeah, she was Sabrina. I'm thinking the gods are crazy. Yeah, but anyway, last and definitely not least, Captain America Civil War bursts onto our screens. We'll be reviewing that in episode 194. And uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm interested. Yeah, I'm really damn, I'm looking quite looking forward to this, forward to this one. Yeah. I reckon it'll it'll be all right for a superhero film. I'm hoping it'll <laughs> I'm hoping it'll wash away the taint of uh, Batman versus Superman. <laughs> to wash away the taint of Batman versus Superman, I watched Superman this nineteen seventy eight Superman. Awesome. Superman the movie. Yeah, that was the only thing powerful enough to take <laughs> to actually away. take the taint away. Who's <laughs> got you? Um, so just, uh, I, I, I guess probably shouldn't end on a, on a sour note, but uh, just a, a couple of rest in pieces. Um, uh, China, uh, World, World Wrestling Federation superstar at her time, uh, China has uh, passed on, which is a shame. Um, and uh, also Prince, uh, music superstar. Is, I think it's uh, fairly safe to call Prince a, a music legend. Yeah, has, uh, uh, has unfortunately mm. also passed on quite subtly. Quite young, quite young, before his time. 57. Mm. Yeah, so, uh, what a shame. Fortunately, I did get a chance to see him back in uh, 1992 during the Diamonds and Pearls concert, and I've got to say, it was pretty awesome. Like, he's a consummate performer. Uh, Thanks to Scott again for his suggestion, and uh, uh, so that's it from me and the crew. Richard? Yeah, Tony Scott still sucks. Luke? Yeah, it's hard to disagree with that one, really. Man Um, on fire. And Crystal? Prometheus! (laughs) Bye! Bye! You've been listening to NCP. Thank you for being a part of our crew. If you would like to support the show, you can use the Amazon widget on our website to do your Amazon shopping. If you have any feedback, please go to nerdculturepodcast.com forward slash contact us where you will find a list of the many different ways you can interact with us. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode.